Let us pray. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. God changes not. But on this earth, things constantly change. There's one thing that does not change, though, and that is God's magnificent grace. And we commemorate that grace now in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Good morning to you. This is a special day. We're honoring mothers and graduates today, both in the same day. So before we begin, we better prepare ourselves for what's ahead by a few moments of silent prayer, the option of naming any unconfessed God, uh, sins to God which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness for providing godly mothers that are doing their job, that are teachers, trainers. They bring up their children in the admonition of the Lord. We thank You for these graduates that we are going to honor today. We thank You that they have fulfill the academic education that they need to go out into the world. But we recognize that it's a very cruel, hostile world. But they have nothing to fear because of your promises. You will never leave them. You will never forsake them. And we pray your blessings upon them as well as the mothers. Pray that you will help us to focus this morning as we read your word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to get to the mothers, but first of all, we're going to have the tradition carried on. And that is when someone graduates from high school that goes to country Bible church, we give them a graduation Bible. Now, that's the good news for them. The bad news is that they have to come up and get it. Not only that, but I've asked them to say a few words to the congregation. And this is their chance to address you. They don't get to do that very often. And so I hope that you will uh, welcome them and encourage them and uh, just really lift them up in your prayers. We're going to start with Morgan Pennison. Morgan started as just a, a little girl. Come on up, Morgan. And she has blossomed into a beautiful young lady. Take a deep breath. It'll be okay. <laughs> Come on up. Let's see if this is on. Here is your uh, Bible. This is your graduation Bible from Country Bible Church. And I'm not even going to tell you. You have to limit what you say. Let me get over here where you can have the bully pulpit there. Well, I've been going to Blinn for about a year now, 
and going to be attending it about a year more. <clears throat> so I'm going to be around a little bit longer. And uh, I'm interested in science, the sciences. So um, right now, I'm wanting to do physical therapy. So I hope it goes good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Future scientist here. How about that? Okay, Garrett. Uh, it's your turn to come up and let us know what your plans are and what's on your mind. There you go. Well, um, first of all, I want to thank you all for providing such a great arena for us all, the students who are here and also graduating students. Uh, it's really been great growing up in this community. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've already attended a semester at A&M, and I've grown a lot in my spiritual walk with God, being exposed to much more, and uh, it's been really great, and I look forward to what this next semester holds and uh, the next following four years. Um, I know it's been great, and coming back here is always a refreshing sight and definitely re-energizing. So thank you all so very much, and um, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure that's the right one. <laughs> wait, 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 wait just a second. Don't run off yet. Um, so uh, what are you going to be studying? There you go. I'm in petroleum engineering. Petroleum, and you start when? I've started this past semester, and I'm set to graduate in 2016. Are you going to live on campus or there? I'm joined the Corps. I'm in Outfit N1, Navy Marine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll be in the Corps dorms oh, okay. up until 2016. When does that actually get underway? I mean, uh, the... When, when will you actually start the core business? Uh, freshman orientation week. FOW is um, April 15th. So August 15th. August 15th. Okay. <laughs> well, we wish you well. Thank you. I can remember going to A&M as well and being in the core and anticipating what all was uh, ahead. Of course, um, I'm sure that he's going to get a better training in the core than I did. I was an athlete and we didn't get all the training, but if we broke the rules, we still got chewed out. Well, uh, they're going out into challenges that they don't even know about yet. And that's the way uh, it's supposed to be. And you too will take the doctrine, both of you, that you've had in your soul, and it's nothing to fear, everything to look forward to. So let's give them a round of appreciation.
Okay, for you mothers, happy Mother's Day. Especially mine sitting back in the middle of the group back there. Uh, you may have seen up here this acrostic. Uh, mother is a maker, organizer, teacher, helper, encourager, and responder. And we have uh, verses for all of these. A good mother has a terrific inner strength, yet is gentle. She works hard, gets dirty, and still remains feminine. She doesn't compete with her husband. She compliments him. She teaches her children Bible doctrine and respect for authority. She gets a lot from them because she expects a lot. They receive praise when they deserve it. Discipline when they need it, and encouragement always. That's a picture of a supermom. <laughs> I might be in the doghouse for this, but I couldn't resist it. <laughs> This is what uh, the cycle that sometimes children go through uh, all the way through adulthood with regards to their mother. Four years of age, mommy can do anything. Eight years, my mom knows a lot, a whole lot. Twelve years of age, my mother doesn't really know quite everything. Fourteen, naturally mother doesn't know that either. What a tough age. Sixteen, mother, she's hopelessly old-fashioned. Eighteen, that old woman, <laughs> she's out of date. <laughs> I really think that goes better with sixteen, but I don't know. Twenty-five years? Well, she might know a little bit about it. Thirty-five years of age? Before we decide, let's get mom's opinion. Forty-five years of age? Wonder what mom would have thought about it. Sixty-five years of age? Wish I could talk it over with mom. Isn't that a wonderful cycle? A truthful cycle. Wives and mothers will either build up their home or tear it down. If she walks with the Lord, she will be a builder. If she disobeys Him, she will be a destroyer. That's the important role that mothers play in the family and wives as well. Proverbs 14.1 the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Proverbs 12:4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. So, wives and mothers have great potential. They can build or they can destroy. Positive wives... And mothers are encouraging and uplifting to their families. Those who complain, argue, and nag bring everyone down. 
It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, I didn't say that. This is the Bible speaking. And I looked up the word contentious, and <laughs> it was always had to do with the women. And I'm not saying that men aren't contentious. I'm just saying that mothers, this is your day. We honor you, but it's also my job to point out what the Word of God has to say about wives and mothers and the importance of using the doctrine that you've learned. Proverbs 21:19. It is better to live in a desert. There's the desert. <laughs> better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. You don't hear vexing much anymore. That's a good word. Proverbs 19.13, a foolish son is destruction to his father and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Drip, drip, drip. Proverbs 27.15-16, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would strain her restrains the wind. There's the wind. And grasps oil with his right hand. That's the scent of perfume. The idea here is that when a woman is contentious, she continues to be an aggravation. And trying to restrain her is like trying to restrain the wind or like trying to grab a scent of perfume in your right hand. You can't do it. A good wife and mother are valuable beyond measure. Proverbs 13:10, an excellent wife, uh, 31:10, excuse me, an excellent wife who can who can find for her worth is far above jewels. Here's the jewels. Proverbs 19:14. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent, prudent wife is from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The guys are writing, taking notes here. A woman's beauty... <laughs> Y'all aren't supposed to see that yet. <laughs> a woman's beauty is something to behold, but unfortunately many, if not most males, are not wise enough to know that a woman's outer beauty is not near as important as her inner beauty. I can assure you, all of us that are part of the over-the-hill gang know that beauty fades. It doesn't seem to affect the men that much with regards to how much they care about it. But uh, Proverbs 11.22, A ring as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. And so, especially those of you who haven't uh, 
trip down the aisle yet? Remember that beauty is only skin deep. Proverbs 31.30 Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. 1 Peter 3.3-4 Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, but putting on dresses, are putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. This is a definition of feminine. This this dictionary was about uh, 20 years old. It says, Having the qualities of a woman becoming are appropriate to the female sex such as modest, graceful, affectionate, sensitive, and gentle. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary included soft, tender, and delicate. Here's the definition for feminine in the current world dictionary. Suitable to or characteristic of a woman, a feminine fashion, possessing qualities or characteristics considered typical are typical of or appropriate to a woman. Do you see the difference? Do you see some of the words missing in the World Dictionary? Like modest, graceful, affectionate, sensitive, gentle, soft, tender, delicate. None of those are, are showing in today's... You know, it's exceedingly hard for uh, women to be these, these things, uh, being... Modest and graceful and affectionate, sensitive, soft, tender, delicate, all these things. It's hard for them to do that because the world is pushing the agenda that women need to compete with men. And unfortunately, most of them have bought into that uh, lie. And femininity is all but disappearing. That doesn't mean that a, a woman that is feminine is weak. She can be not only strong in stature, but strong on the inside as well. And I know uh, some ladies that can do a hard day's work just as a man and still remain feminine. I know that well because I'm married to one. But I think that Something that is disappearing is the mothers aren't teaching their daughters how to be feminine. I mean, it's more than just fashion. And the fashions these days, <laughs> Carrie's always, she's, we get these uh, unsolicited magazines and she goes through the fashions and she shows me uh, the fashions. What looked to me like work boots. These these are feminine the Feminine footwear for today, and then she shows me. Then she also shows me the a, a blouse, and I, I never they're shirts to me, but it's a blouse. It ought to be a blouse for what they ask for it. Anyway, I encourage all you mothers 
to continue to demonstrate to your daughters. I didn't notice, I didn't say just teach, but to demonstrate how to walk, how to talk, when to talk, what to do, all these things. Oh, I'm sorry. That one, <laughs> that one slipped in there. It was, uh, this happens to be my grandson, Grant Williams. He's three and a half years old. He's playing in a four and five year old t-ball league where they put the ball on the deal. Here's his no fear game face. His coaches call him the hammer and the left-handed threat. I don't know if you can tell, but he's got flaming red hair. Okay. Now we've covered the graduates. We've covered Mother's Day. How about us getting some doctrine now, huh? Y'all ready for that? Okay. Okay, we've been talking about faith rest for a while now. And I think we may be able to complete it today if we just keep cracking. Uh, ways to faith rest. The first way is claim a promise. Here's an example, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. There's, that's just one of thousands of promises to claim. Uh, when, when something hits you from out of the blue and you're somewhat discombobulated, that's what you want to do is remember some promises. Second of all is the essence box. The essence box is here. We went through that in detail. These are just ten attributes of God. And when you're focusing on these attributes, whatever the problem may be, it gets smaller and smaller as God gets bigger and bigger as you concentrate on His attributes. Justice, righteousness, love, veracity, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, sovereignty, eternal life, and immutability. God is powerful enough to do anything he wants to in order to take care of your uh, problem. He's omniscient. He knows about your problem. He has an immeasurable amount of love. He's justice. He's righteousness. He's always going to do the right thing, the just thing. He's sovereign. All these things. Immutability, he will not change. You know, this, today is a day about change, especially when you think of the graduates. When I see these graduates, it really measures time like nearly nothing else. I mentioned seeing uh, Morgan when she was just a, a little girl running around here. Now here she's a, a, a young adult fixing to spread her wings and go uh, leave the nest as well as Garrett. We also have the grace pipeline when we call, uh, add to this logistical grace. This is the 
main thing to remember about the Grace Pipeline, I think I have it next, there it is. We've gone over this in detail. Aren't you glad that God blesses us because of who and what He is and not based on who and what we are? That means that you don't have to get God's attention. You don't have to uh, give extra, extra effort in order to receive blessings from God because you're going to receive blessings from God anyway. And it comes through this pipeline. This is the justice of God, and it goes down. And you are blessed because as a believer, you have God's own righteousness. It was imputed to you the moment that you believed the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means that nothing that you do, all these things that are listed here, cannot penetrate that pipeline. You're blessed because you have something that is infinitely valuable. God recognizes it and blesses you for it, and that is His own righteousness. Were He to bless you based on something that you do, your own human good, if that was the case, He would compromise His essence, and then we would have people trying to compete. One thing we learned about logistical grace, see here it is in the pipeline coming down, is that every believer receives logistical grace from God. Logistical grace is everything you need in order to fulfill God's plan in your life. The military it would be beans and bullets for you. It is a place to live. It's clothes to wear. It's uh, your parents or guardian, whoever it may be, provides uh, started when you were a baby and now as you are mature. Throughout your entire life, if you're a believer, you are a child of God. He takes care of his own and you will be provided what you need in order. Now, don't go too far with that. Don't. Say, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sit on the porch, put my feet up on the rail, and wait for God to take care of me. You know, that's not what it's talking about. But isn't it great to know that we have that kind of God? We are blessed because of who and what He is, not who and what we are. Uh, that's a big, uh, especially important today with so many people who are losing their homes, they're losing their jobs and these type of things. The grace pipeline is always there. Then we have God's plan of seven imputations. Here it is here. We started with the unbeliever. What you see in yellow are the imputations. God's plan is essentially made up of seven imputations. This is the normal or common imputations for, that are available for every believer. Every believer can go all the way in God's plan, even to the seventh imputation. That's where we all would like to get to. And you can do it. It's up to you. It just depends upon your positive volition and continuing to keep on keeping on over the long haul and not being distracted from your relationship with God. So this shows the imputations at physical birth. This is radical X or in this category X. This is the unbeliever. By the way, we all are born as unbelievers uh, because we're born spiritually dead. This explains it. Soul life is imputed to biological life. Adam's original sin is imputed to the old sin nature. So the formula goes human life plus spiritual death plus the gospel equals, equals the potential. You see, condemnation always precedes salvation. So when you have this condemnation, we were 
condemned for Adam's sin, what that did was automatically, immediately set up a potential of salvation. But salvation only comes through the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So this is the part of the Bible that is requisite for someone to receive eternal life, God's own righteousness, to be born again. So once that occurs, once a person has faith in Christ, he becomes a new believer and moves on to the next radical, which is for the believer. This is X. We have, oh, excuse me, Y. This is X, the imputations at physical birth. Y is imputations, <coughs> excuse me, at uh, spiritual birth. You'll notice that these are not ovals like the rest of them. These are squares because this is a different type of imputation. These are called judicial imputations. The reason they're called judicial, these are real imputation. Real imputation, you have the thing that is imputed has an affinity. It agrees with, it harmonizes with that to which it is imputed. But not so with the judicial imputations. For instance, our personal sins were imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, why was that able to occur? The reason it was able to occur is because of what went on over here. You see, because we are condemned for Adam's sin, means all of our personal sins can then be collected and imputed on, uh, to Christ at the cross. Whether you live before the cross or after the cross, the imputations of all personal sins go to Jesus Christ. If God waited around until you committed a personal sin, then he would be unable to impute it to Christ because of the law of double jeopardy. Let me put it this way. When Christ went to the cross, he took the penalty for your personal sins, my personal sins. And when he did that, it means that God, being just and righteous, is unable to condemn us as well. He condemned Christ, imputed our sins to him, so he would be unjust, unfair, unrighteous, to then turn around and impute that condemnation to us and that punishment when Christ has already taken it. See how important that is. Also, we have God's righteousness imputed to the believer. See, Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless, so personal sins imputed to him didn't fit. Nor does God's own perfect righteousness fit to us sinning unbelievers. But when they come in a pair as they do, it equals and it balances out, and God is just and righteous in doing this. You notice this is the GP. Uh, that's not grade points there. That's uh, grace pipeline. Everything goes through that grace pipeline to us. Now, because sins were imputed to Christ and we have God's righteousness, here's the formula. Plus R is God's righteousness plus logistical grace flowing through this grace pipeline plus Bible doctrine equals the next potential. I assume everyone, if not nearly everyone, is in this already, uh, in this, all this has already taken place because you believed in Jesus Christ. Now you have God's righteousness plus logistical grace, everything that you need to fulfill God's plan, plus doctrine. You have to keep getting doctrine equals the second potential, which is super grace blessings in time. Super grace blessings. We just talked about logistical grace. Every believer has logistical grace. 
But only those believers who redeem the time, who keep their priorities straight, keep their spiritual momentum moving forward by consistently taking in God's Word, they grow spiritually, they mature, and there's a point in time where God is going to unleash upon them His wonderful, magnificent blessings. They come in six categories. And I don't think I have it here, but I I taught that a couple of Sundays ago. All the different categories of blessings. In other words, this is the abundant life that God has for you. And it depends upon your attitude towards Him and His Word as to whether you're ever going to get these six categories of super grace blessings in time. He wants more than to get by grace, logistical grace. He wants to give us more and more. What, you know what one of the uh, motivations for God giving us super grace is that the more grace He can give us, the more that He can bless us, the more He's glorified. Because He's doing this right under the nose of Satan himself, and Satan can't do a thing about it. So this is what God wants for us in His plan as Believers, for us to reach super grace. And then we move on to the mature believer and the imputation is the, here's where we need to get right here, seventh imputation. So for the mature believer, we have the uh, potential of imputations in eternity. That's a potential, you see. It comes about by eternal life. This eternal life is imputed at salvation the same time that this uh, righteousness of God is imputed. It's imputed at salvation to the human spirit. Remember, you were over here, you were born spiritually dead, SD, spiritually dead. And so when you believed in Jesus Christ, something happened. What happened is that God the Holy Spirit created something that wasn't there before, which is a human spirit. That's your ability to understand, process, and apply Bible doctrine and have a relationship with God. Now, some people say you have a human spirit already. It just went dormant. And I'm not going to argue or equivocate about that. The Bible calls it death. But in any event, you have this now as a believer, and that's what... Eternal life is imputed to. So you have eternal life plus the BT here is blessings in time. See, you're never going to get this seventh imputation here, which is surpassing grace blessings for all eternity. That's the, that is the big one right there. I started to say it's the big enchilada. I went ahead and said it. I've been told that when I say that, people start thinking about lunch. So I shouldn't say that, but I said it anyway. So there you go. Eternal life plus blessings in time here plus doctrine equal the third potential, which is surpassing grace blessings for all eternity. That's how big our God is. That's how much He loves us. That's what He wants for us. And every believer can reach that goal, reach that, that place where they're not only going to be blessed in time in a super, super way, but also for all eternity. And there you have it. That is, that, those are the seven imputations that make up the plan of God for the believer. It kind of gives you an idea. Where are you in this? Are you, are you striving for the super grace blessings in time? Are you already there and now you are getting more doctrine to get to the point to where God is going to be able to bless you 
in a supernatural way for all eternity. When you think of this, let me tell you, when you think of this, when you understand this, when you understand it well enough to tell someone in your own words, this is God's plan for you, then the problems don't seem so big anymore. The problem is never the problem anyway. It's your attitude about the problem that is usually the problem. You got that? And when you're thinking doctrine, that, that, that whole mindset, that stinking thinking of human viewpoint being replaced by divine viewpoint, and then you have the confidence and courage that everybody wants. Okay, here's the, uh, the last one is the a fortiori logic. This is the one we haven't covered. We're going to cover that today. A fortiori logic. What is a fortiori? Well, a fortiori is a Latin uh, prepositional phrase meaning with greater reason. I don't know what... Oh, there you go. It's a system of logic that deals with inference and comparison. To arrive at a conclusion by reasoning from facts or evidence. By the way, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. Never has been, never will be. It's all based on evidence. I imagine that the reason that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is because of the evidence. The reason that you know that the Word of God, the Bible, is God's revelation to mankind is because of the evidence. We just don't take it, take it uh, as a fact because someone says it. We look at all the evidence and we're forced to that conclusion. It is a comparison of greater with a lesser difficulty. It's used as a system of debate which takes an accepted fact and by common comparison produces an inescapable fact. For instance, here's an illustration of an a fortiori logic. If I can take 100 pounds and lift over my head, then a fortiori logic would say then for sure I would be able to lift 50 pounds over my head. As I get older, as I use that expression, the weight always gets less. <laughs> At one time I could say 200 pounds. The Latin is the exact equivalent of the Greek expression found here. This is known as uh, grammar, as an idiom of greater degree. It is composed of the dative singular adjective polos, P-O-L-U-S, meaning much, and the comparative adverb malon, M-A-L-L, O-N, meaning more. So that's, that's what it is in the Greek. And when you're reading it in the English, so many times you'll find it in the Bible, it'll just say much more. Something, 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 then much more will something, something be. A fortiori has two parts, the greater and the less. The greater is found in the protesis, and the lesser is found in the apotesis. I, I can't remember if I... Put these definite, yeah, there you go. The protesis is the clause expressing a condition in a sentence, usually starting with if. If you do your homework, then da 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 da. Then something else you can do. You can have ice cream or whatever. The protesis is the conditional part, and the apotesis is the clause expressing the consequences. In a conditional sentence, often, often beginning with then. If you do so and so, then this is what's going to happen. 
Example, if you can concentrate for an hour when you're tired, then you can concentrate for a half hour when you're rested. That's a fortiori logic. It just makes sense. So we have a few <clears throat> examples. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I said that last Sunday during communion to remember that we don't deserve this great grace that we get from God. But then it goes on in verse 9. Here's the a fortiori logic. You see it here in red. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, His sacrifice on the cross, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Since He did the most for us while we were sinners, certainly He can do something that is not as hard to do now that we are His children. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. This is... Uh, Deliverance. Proverbs 19.7 All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? You see the logic here? If his own brothers uh, hate him, then it stands with greater reason that his friends are going to not only hate him, but abandon him. See the words? You're looking for the words much more. Proverbs 21:27 The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination how much more when he brings it with evil intent in other words they were bringing these sacrifices but they were ritual without reality uh, they were just going through the motions and he's saying uh, he calls them wicked and that was an abomination how much more would it be an abomination if they bring it with evil intent. 1 Corinthians 6.3 Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? This has to do with suing one another. People, people that go to church together ought not to be suing one another, going to a, a, a civil court. And this is what it's saying, that if we are going to judge angels, and we are, that's a first-class conditional clause, how much more in matters of life we should be able to make judgments and discernments based on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is sufficient for all things of life and godliness. Then we have Matthew 6.30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? What, is this, what does this verse have to do with? The doctrine that I've mentioned already. What is it? Logistical grace, right. And so I guess every, every once in a while, some people maybe more than others, are concerned about the bills coming in. They're, they're concerned. Uh, I might lose my job or uh, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And this is an a fortiori logic for us to use. If God did the most for us by sending His Son to the cross to die for our sin, that's the most that anyone could ever do. If He did that while we were still His enemies, 
can He take care of our problems now? Is, is any problem we have too big for Him? You see how this logic is to be used with regards to um, the issues of life and the problems? Luke 12:24. Here's another logistical grace. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds? Quite a bit, I would say, wouldn't you? It would go for the flowers as well. God takes care of all of these things. So, we've gone through these things. We've gone through the faith rest, the five different ways that you can access it. Now, the issue is, what are you going to do about it? Is this something that you're going to file away in your notebook and put in there and think, man, I'm a spiritual giant. If you don't believe it, let me show you my notebook. No, it's something that we have to utilize. Now, I gave them in a particular order, but you don't you have to utilize them in any particular order. The first one I had was claim them a promise, and that might be last on your list. I don't know. The thing to do, though, is that it is the Word of God circulating in your stream of consciousness. You're meditating on it. You're thinking it. You're learning doctrine. And you're just not thinking about it here at church. When you go home, you're thinking, now, how does that apply to such and such issue that I'm facing at the, at the present time? And then all of us get hit broadside by something right out of the blue. And that's when we need to be stabilized. That's when we, it might be the essence box. Maybe that's where you go to first and you start thinking, okay, God knows this happens, has happened. He's omniscient. He loves me with a love that we cannot even comprehend. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. He's, nothing is limited with regards to His power. He's, not, he's, not, he's immutable. He's not going to change. And when you start th thinking about these things, then you're... You know what you're thinking about when you're thinking about these things? Or maybe I should say what you're not thinking about. What are you not thinking about? The problems, right? Now, these work. I can tell you they work. They work for me. They work for every believer. And I suppose that as time presses on, it's not only going to be these graduates that are going to go out into challenges that are yet unknown. That's for all of us, is it not? So I would say it would behoove us to, to take these five ways of faith resting and employ them and use them because they work. I hope that they work so well that you can't wait to tell others who are doing a meltdown because of their circumstances how God worked in your life through His Word to help you to get on top of your circumstances. You have to master the details of life. And you do that by setting your priorities. And if your priorities are not correct, in other words, if anything other than God and His Word is number one in your life, then your life is never going to be what it could be. You're not going to get those six categories of super grace blessings in time. And because you don't get those, you'll never get the surpassing grace blessings in eternity.
We don't know what's in the future, do we? It appears there might be dark clouds looming on the horizon. It seems like every week, nearly every day, our society slips further and further into degeneracy and further away from the living God. But we have nothing to fear. It just means the darker it gets, the more we can shine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You are our God, that we can always depend upon You, for You are always faithful. And we also know that there's going to be times when we hit the panic button and we become desperate. And we pray that You will help us to remember these techniques, these way, this way of being able to shut out the static and the noise and the fear and the stress in our souls that we can be at peace and have rest where it really counts. We pray that You will be with our mothers, that You will strive with them to continue to stay the course, to be godly mothers, to train and teach their children. We pray for these graduates that are going out, young adults facing the world. They will use these Bibles. We hope in a year or two from now that those Bibles will be worn out. We thank You for the opportunity that we can be here to honor them and these mothers. It's all because of Your matchless grace. And we pray this all in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.